we went uh we took the day off yesterday because it was jamie's birthday and i uh, went to the beach we went to the beach and took watson sweet the beach might be watson's favorite place why is that he just goes nuts the whole time we're there he he digs holes in the sand uh he carries uh squeaky around squeaky is his favorite tennis ball that's ever existed and he he like puts it on the ground and then jumps on it and so it pushes it into the ground and then he'll dig it out and yeah he he just loves he just loves the beach he barks at the water he runs up to the water then he drops his tennis ball and is scared to go get it uh yeah i don't know look there's lots of birds other dogs he just uh he has a lot of fun where'd you go out to bodega uh great no what's it called goat rock we went to goat rock hmm not familiar with that it's just a uh it's like at the bottom of a cliff there's it's dog friendly so there's plenty of space and stuff but yeah that's cool he's been like sleeping ever since that's good though happy birthday jamie uh, I was talking to my boss today, actually. Uh, my, well, my like my boss last coach, and generally, like every week, it's like, "How are you doing? How is the project going? Any risks? Any anything to be aware of? You know, et cetera, et cetera." And um, after being, yeah, after like having the day off, didn't have to check Slack at all, not even thinking about like looking an email or anything. It was kind of weird. Like when we got home, I was. I was like ready to build something or learn something or <laughs> I had just was like refreshed and it was only like a few hours away. So maybe I'll try to do it more often. But what she told me to do was she was like, go through the calendar for this next year and just sprinkle in days off, just like drop them in wherever. And uh, you'll thank yourself later. I was like, that's a good idea. She's like, that's what I do. <laughs> so that is a good idea. I mean, there's something to be said for planning those out. Like, Hey, you know, I want to take some time off here to try to do a thing, but mm-hmm. sprinkling the sprinkling of the days off. I mean, use it or lose it, right? For days off, like you might as well. Do they need a lot of warning for when you're taking days off, or you like do you have to do you have to book it early on, or what? It depends. I mean, obviously, the earlier you book it, the more they like it. But it depends on the project. Like, I booked this one a week in advance, and nobody cared at all. Uh, so as long as, you know, as long as I'm not affecting a project or like taking, trying to take time off when we're launching something or, you know, uh, if it affects with money, basically, then they can, they have the option to decline it, but in most cases they don't. Yeah, that makes sense. Agilent was very, uh, very good with their time off. Like they, they gave us an, an okay amount, not a great amount, but an okay amount. And it was very much like no questions asked. You take a day off, uh, it's fine. The wheels keep churning. You know, I, I had to take some days off with basically no notice, you know, basically sick days, but it's all, it was all blurred together. You know, they, they call it PTO, whether it was a sick day or a regular day. And it was just a time off. But, but like my boss, I was like, sorry, boss, I can't come in today. I have to deal with some stuff. And he's like, no problem. Like it's, you know, it is what it is. It just feels, I don't know. It feels different to like, I, if there's nothing that could go wrong, like catastrophically that I have to be like, if I come back to work and check Slack, I'm like in trouble or something, you know, it's, it was, it was purely like, I could just leave and not bring any devices. There's no cell service at all where we went. So, you know, that would have been hard for me, um, before Meta Lab, but yeah, it was, it was a lot easier. And then having my boss encourage me just to like, go take more time off was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty nice. I think I'm adjusting, adjusting just fine. I'm sure. I'm sure. Jess actually uh, kind of called me out the other day because 
I did have a day where I was working on RHR stuff all day, and then I was working on client stuff in the evening, you know, after dinner, basically. And uh, then it got to be like 9 or 10 o'clock and just, you know, hang out, watch TV, Netflix, YouTube time. And I just couldn't turn my brain off. I couldn't relax. And she was like, you just need to have some, you know, establish some better boundaries with, with your work because, you know, <laughs> if it's, you're affecting you this much. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to focus on that and, and sort of draw those lines a little better and uh, try to shed some of my sort of responsibilities and, and time box them a little better. I mean, it's, it's always a struggle, you know, how it goes, but it's just something that's been affecting me lately too. So I get it. Yeah, I keep trying to remember that. Like, if I'm happy and healthy and and not sleep deprived, then I'll work better and more efficiently. It's kind of like it's kind of like a cycle that just keeps getting worse, right? The less the the busier you get, the less you sleep, which means that you don't get as much done, which means you sleep less, which means it just continues and continues. So, yeah, it's a uh, it, it was it was super nice, like to just have that break. So today was today was really good. We're on. Uh, we're kind of like on the tail end of this phase of the project. So there's a code freeze on the 31st, I think, and they're doing, uh, they're cutting a launch to their, their customer base, like the first or something. And so the next, this weekend, next week, we've just had the whole time to focus on QA and like our QA and their QA. So they have people on their side testing as well. So there's a lot of small changes that are happening, copy changes, copy fixes, things that, we asked them for a long time ago that now they're like, oh, we need to do this thing. You know, we're like, well, yeah, we know about it. It's in a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's on the list. That's what I always tell people. It's on the list. Yeah. That's one thing I'm appreciating about all of this uh, is is with with working with a producer, there's like a list for everything and everything's on the list in, in most cases. And that's very, very, very different from like... DK and side door where like I was the list, I maintained the list. And then I did, you know, I did the, the, the list. Um, and so even talking to Jackie backing and forth now, cause we keep in touch a lot, just like listening to him, you know, like we vent to each other and we, we just talk, we're just friends and like listening to, to things that are happening or, you know, good and bad. Um, it's just interesting to observe like what he's going through and then remember where exactly where I was and then think about how things are running now for the stuff I'm involved with. And I was like, man, I made the right choice. <laughs> Again, nothing like, and I'm not trying to fire shots at, at a um, side door or anything, but it's, it's, diff- it's, it's just like a free for all kind of, cause it's a small startup, you know? So it's very, very different. Um, you just passed the torch. I just passed the torch and took a nap. <laughs> Yeah. With Watson. Yeah. Every time I look over, he's in a different position, but his eyes are closed. <laughs> Restless sleeper. Yeah. That's who ends up taking up the whole bed in the middle of the night, right? Yes. He has to be in the middle. Last night, he fell asleep with his head shoved in the middle, but his body was on the other side of Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point, he jumped in the middle and sh- and like shoved his way, shoved his way in. But... um. Yeah, so this week's been good. Like, it's been good to have that breath of like, there are a lot of the things that are coming in are just small fixes or small changes or kind of UX things, which has been really nice. Nothing major, uh, and so it's kind of given me time to catch my breath a little bit. And um, so up to this point with like React and the tools that we use, like I'm capable enough to figure it out. 
Uh, and, and that's kind of like, that was my step one was to like be, be comfortable enough with the tools to be able to figure something out if I needed to, it may not be ideal, may not be most performant, may not be whatever. Um, but just be comfortable enough. If someone gets stuck, you can get them unstuck. Or if you have to implement something, you can implement it. And, and so now I feel like I'm there. And so with this a little bit extra breathing room, we actually get like L and D time, like learning development time every week. And so I haven't, I have yet to take any of it, uh, but I'm starting to take a little bit each day now, just kind of spreading it across the week and working on my step two. And, and step two of that is um, not necessarily be an expert, but like be confident, like not only can I figure it out, but I can, I can propose a refactor. I can propose like an alternate solution that might be better uh, in the grand scheme of the whole project, not necessarily like React itself, but like the whole project. So I think becoming more advanced with React helps me with that goal of being able to be more prescriptive in the whole project. So that's kind of like moving into that phase. Yeah, being able to know what needs to be done without having to actually do it. <laughs> that's kind of the best place to be, right? I mean, uh talking about agile and again like the best managers are the ones who were down and dirty working as you know engineers previously right like they they had the experience enough to to know how to divvy things up and where the pain points would be and you know who should own what problem and whatever so um you have that sort of technical experience maybe not specifically in react but building that up obviously is gonna is gonna help you a lot I feel like I have pretty decent intuition. I think I got the job off of my intuition, honestly. <laughs> uh, after having conversations and interviews and like, like noting in places in the project, I might go like I might in a refactor. I might go this way and kind of like rationalize why I felt that way, even if I wasn't strictly like able to say this is exactly what I would do with React. I, I might say like this is probably the direction I would go in, and that was good enough, I suppose, to instill enough confidence for them to want to hire me. Uh, but I can't, yeah, I can't live off of that forever. I guess I, I don't necessarily want to. Maybe so. Yeah, and my feelings are like haven't changed much. Like React is okay. I don't hate it. Don't love it. It is what it is. It's a tool, right? So I've kind of just embrace that and and uh have been continuing forward with it so those feelings of those feelings that i always used to get of like when i'm digging into something i i I would have this thought of like this is this is me now like this is what i'm like knowing and learning and using forever now right like those have been those have kind of like disappeared and so now react feels more like a tool just a tool uh, instead of like a way of life or something more encompassing or larger i don't know if that makes any sense but no i get it i mean you, you've made a lot of shifts in the tools in the past couple of months and uh you know you're productive in all of them <laughs> so like why would you be beholden to any one thing when you can you can get things done in all these different tool sets and so yeah i think that's uh having that experience is also really valuable just seeing those kind of overarching you know patterns and structure and you know, knowing sort of like, like you said, that intuition of, uh, I don't know really how to implement this, but this is the way it should like feel. This is the way it should go. Right. And this is what you should not do, or this is what I would not do. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing the pitfalls too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so like one of the tools, uh, I, I've been digging more into, uh, is react query because we're using it on this project. And I've kind of talked about this a little bit on the show before. Um, but 
after digging more into it, like just reading more of the documentation and kind of looking at sample projects, uh, it, every time like I learn something new about it, I'm like, oh, this becomes even more powerful or more useful to me, which I think is kind of nice in a tool. I feel like maybe it's been a while since I felt like that about not necessarily a framework, but like a library inside of a framework. A sort of emergent behavior or um, like the, the discovery of, of the features. Like, yeah. It, it, out of the box, it's useful, but the more you get into it, the more valuable it becomes. Yeah, d- definitely. Have, have you have you messed with React Query at all or like looked at it at all? In zero amount. Zero amount. Okay. So I guess like things I've done in the past and I'll probably like DK, for example, right? So in, in our app, like we were using Vuex, like basically a, a kind of akin to Redux is a central store, right? And we would store application like UI state in it. And then we would also store server state, like API responses. You know, you've, you've, we've all kind of like seen the recommendations of like treat your UX store like a database where you, you know, you have a product collection instead of like multiple, you know, products kind of all over the place in different lists. You want your, you want to kind of like normalize this list of products, treat it like a database, stuff like that. And and that's 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 fine. I think like it's interesting because you're starting, you, you kind of mix like server state and UI state, right? You might work with them differently. You might interact with them differently, approach solving problems with the two pieces of data differently. Um, but then there's all this other stuff like uh, worrying about, you know, how many times is this component reloading? Because I don't want a bunch of duplicate API requests hitting the API, like needless waste of data, stuff like that. Then you have to think about, and then you start to think about how do I cache this? How do I, then you have to start implementing code like, is this product ID already in the store? You know, deduping stuff. It's kind of, and you have to do it every time, right? Uh, so then you you end up probably extracting some functions and then you basically have your own library at that point. <laughs> and then you start a new project and do it all over again, you know? So that, that sounds familiar, right? Well, I mean, you could just do it on the server and be done. You could. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, of course. You can't do that with the real client application just just use live view <laughs> right i mean well that is that is a you know that it's a that's probably perfectly fine for most people to be honest most apps uh yeah anthony in the chat said hot wires another option uh live wires another option hot uh live view I don't hot know. live wire view <laughs> yeah pro xdr so yeah, so I was. Uh, do you know who Kent, Kent Dodds is? I'll put a link to some of his stuff in the in the show notes. I don't, but he's pretty big in the React world. He does a lot of teaching. Um, he worked worked. I don't know if he works for. I know that he worked for. I don't know if he still does. Uh, but for PayPal, and he ended up doing. I think they did like a complete rewrite of of um, PayPal.me, and he was on one of the teams that did that, or that he was on the team that did that. And he has this post on his, on on. I think it's epicreact.dev. They have some articles on on React. And he was kind of saying in one of his posts, like, if I could go back in time and tell myself anything, it would just be to use React Query and not try to to wrangle all of this server state into Redux. And I thought that was pretty interesting because, like, of all the things that you may have learned or the tools that you may have learned about, this is the one that you would say just use it wholesale. I I, I will say that when I've used Vuex, one of the patterns that sort of came out of that was that I did actually end up separating like by namespace the UI state from data state you know like I had a <laughs> UI sort of root in my store that had all my 
state of the UI, what things were visible, what, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, and then I had separate sort of namespaces for like, I actually one for, uh, like, um, Vuex persistent state would like load and retrieve, uh, the Vuex store from, from local storage. And so I had a whole, I had a whole convention for that. It was just called options or was it called options? Is that what I called it? I think all the options and if in like everything, if I saw dot options, like I knew that was a, like a persistent state sort of thing. Right. Mm. And yeah, separating that out by sort of how it was maintained, it did feel weird having it all stored in one place alongside each other because yeah, it's all reactive and stuff. But like you said, when it's just everything's splatted, normalized into a, into one namespace, it's hard to optimize that when, uh, when everything's just being done sort of magically. I guess so now we can talk about what React Query is or like how it, why it's nice. What is React Query, Sean? Uh, it just handles, okay, so I can, I can pull up the website, but uh, basically like, I guess version three now is, uh, is, is uh, framework independent, like the core of it is. So I've seen on Twitter that uh, there are some people from the view world using the React Query core and they've just wired up some view bindings for it instead of the React bindings which is kind of cool. But it's basically a set of hooks and utilities uh, that that you you say, you, you pass in, like, here's, you make like a query, like, here's what I want, here's what I'm going to call it. You pass it a fetcher function so that the fetcher function actually does the fetching or uses Axios or however, right? It's, it's what gets the data. So it takes like a query key, which I'll talk about in a minute. It takes your fetcher function and then it exports a uniform interface. So the uniform interface gives you a data key, which is the data is returned from the API. Uh, it returns like a status key of like idle, fetching, errored, whatever. Um, it returns a bunch of booleans, like is error, is success, is whatever. And and so working with any of your queries, basically then on the front end or like in the component world, it's all the same. So it's sort of normalized for you. You know what's going to be there. It just works uh, as the data updates. Your component will just update. Yeah. Uh, so like people are saying in the chat, it's like very similar to Apollo, very similar to a Redwood cell. I guess more more or less, it just applies conventions to your API requests. Uh, similarly to your mutations, like your posts or your puts, uh, does the same thing. Uh, it just gives you conventions around those things. And the API to the server is agnostic, right? It's just a function. So mm-hmm. it could be GraphQL, it could be REST, it could be Telnet, whatever. Exactly. It could be a mock data could test be a mock, yeah. thing. Yeah. Could be anything. Um, so, but where the power of it, like, yeah, okay. So having having that convention, the uniform interface is cool. But what makes it really nice is that I mentioned these query keys, right? So a query key can be like, so let's say you're fetching a list of products. The query key might be products. Uh, and then if you're fetching a single product, the query key might be an array where the, the first item in the array is a string product. The second item in the array is the ID of the product. And so what it does is it has this whole caching mechanism behind the scenes. And so like, let's say you, you, you fetch a list of products, uh, React Query is going to keep that response uh, in, in memory at that key address. So you have now have a list of products at products key. Uh, and then when, when in your next uh, request, like say you have a component that needs to request data for a single product, uh, what you can do is you can, you can have a new query and you specify the product slash ID, but you can actually have it check the cache first. 
And so instead of remaking that request to the API, it'll just pull that data immediately out of the cache and then it will refetch it to see because it has different uh, states. So each query has like um, basically uh, like idle fetching and stale. So as soon as you pull something out of the cache, it's marked as stale, which means behind the scenes it's going to trigger a request and update the UI for you. Uh, so in that way you can render a UI immediately and then have the, the data be refreshed behind the scenes and it'll kind of like, you know, transparently just re-render if it needs to. Uh, so there's, and there's two ways to work with the cache, right? So if you get that list of products, you can call the query cache and then you could specifically like put a bunch of stuff into it. Or on the other side, you can check to see if there's something in the cache first before like making the request. But either way, it sort of manages for you, like maintaining the cache and the query key. It just works. I don't know. It works really well. It just sort of is is seamless. So like in the, the client project I'm working on now, we have a bunch of charts on the dashboard and each one has to request a different endpoint uh, and all the data is sort of interconnected. And so a person can like mutate something on the API and then we can say, hey, go and validate the query and we, and we tell it just um, invalidate this key. And if, if you have like products, ID and whatever, if you just say invalidate products, it'll invalidate everything else behind that too. So that means all of your components will then have to re-update them to like get new data and update the UI. So you have sort of this cascading effect. And again, all you did was say, hey, invalidate this piece of data. And then all the, the rest of the components know that they now have to refetch the data. So you said when you pull out a piece of information, it automatically marks it as stale at that point. I don't. I'm, I don't understand that. If you pull it from the cache, right? So, so if I if I list a product and I pull product ten, I get that product immediately. But it. But what's the point of invalidating at that point? Is it because that product could be old? Like, what if we refetch the same data and it nothing has changed? Is that just a waste or? It could be a waste. Uh, it does by default. It does the stale, like it marks it as stale first, and does a fetch mm-hmm. in case it's been there for an hour or something. Okay. Um, you can actually configure all this. So how this works is each hook just takes an object of configuration values, and so you can say, all right, this one don't refetch. Uh, don't refetch inactive queries. Don't refetch. Uh, inactive would be like if the component has a query uh, instance, but it's not mounted in the DOM currently, like if it's not visible, you can say like, don't make that one refetch until it's re- remounted to the DOM, for example. Uh, so there's like all these fine grained controls that you can do to like use to make sure that this works in the way that you want to. And the cool thing is that all of these, these config options, they can all be changed. They can all be reactive due to state in a component. So you can like... Actually, one of the cool use cases of this is you can actually enable or disable queries dynamically. And so let's say that you have like a a settings page and some of the settings might be only shown to an admin. And this might be, this is a weird example, but just like bear with me here. If you fetch the user, like let's say in your component, you have a use user query, which fetches the user. And then you have use admin settings, which fetches like admin settings that you wouldn't want a normal user to use, right? They're both in this component. Maybe it's bad design, just go with it. When the user request happens, uh, you can then say, uh, if the user is admin, you can use that condition to pass an enabled flag into the admin user settings. And so if that's false, it might disable that query, which means that function never runs, that query never runs. So you can dynamically like change these settings based off of application state, based off of server state, responses from other requests. It's all completely um, reactive. See, if I was approaching that kind of problem, where I needed 
changes to be propagated to a client. My first inclination would be to use a, like this is very much a pull strategy. Like the client pulls when it needs to, right? Like it's lazy, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it loads some cache version of data, then it fetches and like potentially that data could be updated. In my head, if, if I was trying to solve that problem, that's not really a solution I would go for right away. I would go for like a push strategy. You know, a client fetches data, then it subscribes to, hey, notify me of all updates to this subset of data. And it could use a similar sort of key-based thing where you've got, you know, URLs or, or like Redis has like, you know, they separate things with colons, what, whatever mm-hmm. it is. It has some sort of key naming convention for, for caching. And you could get into like, uh, nested caches and stuff. So if you invalidate all products, you know, every product gets invalidated. You could come up with a convention for that. But again, it comes down to the client subscribes and then if any change happens on the server, then it gets pushed to the clients who care about it. And then that change gets, you know, then it's it's stored. The client doesn't have to pull. The change is already there. So there's no worry about invalidating caches because you always have the latest information. Mm. Uh, but the downside is you're potentially pushing to inactive clients, clients that don't care. You know, m- maybe you're pushing a product that the user isn't viewing right now. Like, why why waste that bandwidth, I guess? Plus, there's a whole question of uh, having to maintain a connection, you know? Uh, React Query is it's just it's just functions, Sean, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're, just, they're just Ajax or whatever function calls that are um, asynchronous and what's the word like they're, they're transactional right you mm-hmm. can just you can just pull it's basically polling and so that makes your infrastructure just way easier when you're just doing that and load balancing all the stuff than trying to maintain a you know a tcp websocket connection to push stuff out to the client so yeah and, and like i said the configuration options for like for choosing when and how things get updated or invalidated are pretty exhaustive so even down like i think by default if you like say you have this polling request happening and you navigate to a different tab uh, and then you come back, it's going to, it's going to keep pulling in the background just to make sure you have an updated UI when you get back. But you can just say, don't do that. Um, like I, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you could, uh, you could enable or disable certain queries. You could say, all right, I'm going to invalidate this specific cache, but don't, don't re uh, don't refetch inactive queries, which means that they're, associated dom node is no longer it's like not visible right it's not being rendered so you can get like pretty you know pretty like into the weeds and how you want to set all this stuff up but the cool thing is just like seeing the ui like respond like i make a change and all these different components just kind of like do what they need to to get the data and i know that it's not dozens of api calls it's just one the first one hits it's in cache the rest of them just pull it from the cache automatically as they need it. And then, like I said, there's different strategies. Like you can, like there's different different ways to prime the cache, right? So if you know there are certain pieces of data you need, on um, when on the first load, you might actually just go and get those data. And then you can actually just say, hey, React Query, put this in the cache at this cache key for later. Um, and I was talking about this in, in a call uh, and someone brought up like, yeah, like, you know, then we could, you know, you could theoretically ditch Redux in a project altogether. And someone was raising concerns about like, you know, there are some good practices that Redux helps you achieve, like prop drilling, like having to pass props through components, through components, through components, or like pass callbacks, callbacks, callbacks all the way down. Um, And 
having sort of isolation in your components. So like components is nice to be able to like have components, you know, have whatever they need and they don't have to ask for, for data from somewhere else, I guess. Uh, so the interesting thing is like, as I'm thinking about these different issues that they were raising, I was like, you could do like, I was thinking of ways that you could do that with Query. So for example, I will go with our product listing. So if, if you, you know, you landed on a page, it has a list of products, you might do an API request. You certainly wouldn't do one API request per product that's on a page, right? That'd be 30, you know, <laughs> how would you even do that? You'd have to know which APIs to get or uh, IDs to get. Uh, but like, let's say that you land on a product listing, you get a list of products, it returns 30 products, you can put them into the cache. And because you put them into the cache, you could theoretically then have each product component, every time it's rendered, it just takes a single ID and then it uses a query to ask for its data. It's just so, ha it, in this case, it would just so happen that the data is already cached, so there would be no real API request call, like, used. And then if it wasn't in the cache, then it would put itself in the cache, right? So it's still not ideal. Like, you wouldn't still want to have a bunch of API requests happening, but you could, if that's, you know, if that sort of component design problem is of a concern, like, there's ways to do it. Again, like, everything's kind of falling back on the cache, so... Well, it's the same as the preloads n plus one problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same quarter class of problems. But the nice thing is, it's all declarative. Like you just use your query, like you just use your query hooks, and it's all it's all there. I just had a crazy idea. Like, could you use React Query to instead of hitting API, you're actually hitting like the Redux store as the function <laughs> call? I mean, probably. <laughs> is there any value in that? Probably not. But like, it's cool that that it's agnostic like that. You'd have to like wrap everything in promises, <laughs> but you could. I mean, it was resolve instantly. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you probably could do it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Come full circle. There's bigger problems at that point, I think. But that approach could be valuable if you really, really didn't want to care about the underlying data store. Like maybe you're just doing Redux as like an MVP. Or, you know, you're just loading some stuff in the browser and you want to eventually replace it with an API, right? Like you're just doing dummy data or whatever. Like there, there's applications where you might actually want to do that. I, I don't sure. think in production for real cases you would want to do it, but it's kind of cool that you can. Yeah, I mean, it's nice that it doesn't make any opinions about how you're actually doing your data fetching. So you could use like GitHub's, you could use a, a you know, a API library for working with GitHub or whatever service instead of having to implement all of the specific endpoints you want. You just have to have queries for the things that you want to do. So in our project, we have individual hooks. Like, so you could do this all in line too in a component. You could define the fetcher uh, function in the component and then create the query and use it in a component. But what we would do is we just extract them all. So we might have like a fetch current user hook, fetch user hook, fetch, fetch X list hook, right? So we extract it all away because then we can encapsulate like search parameters, uh, anything like that that we might need to send to the API. Yeah, and Paul made a good point in the chat that when I was talking about WebSockets, he said it's great if you control both the client and the server, not so much if you're relying on an API from someone else, which is true. Uh, you're you're not really going to get a get a WebSocket subscription push API from from most people at this point. Yeah, and and the neat thing is that. There, especially in in context of like working with third party APIs and stuff, it automatically implements like a uh, exponential back off retry strategy for if an API request fails. So that was that was also nice as I found out. <laughs> so Anthony's in the chat pushing Redwood as he's wont to do, and uh, I guess Redwood uses Apollo by default 
but they added a React query provider this week. So you can drop a pile and replace it with a React query if you're doing a Redwood app. Neat. So there you go. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Anthony. That's mostly what I wanted to say about React Query is like this new sort of way of working with server state that I hadn't thought of before. Uh, and it turns out it's like so far, I haven't run into anything that's been gross about it. And like I said, the more I read the docs, the more I sort of it like dawns on me like use cases, like being able to enable or disable queries on the fly. So like I, that that was useful for me this last week in building a feature where we had to dynamically call code based off of like, based off of uh, some form options. Since these are in a hooks, they have to be, since we are, we're using a lot of React hooks, we have to do some of the, like these queries, like React hooks have to be using functional components, right? You can't just call a hook from a function in a file somewhere. Uh, so I was like, okay, well I can make like these invisible components that call this hook and it felt kind of gross. And then I learned that, oh, you can just enable or disable. And so based off of form state, enables or disables the proper query. And I could ditch the whole idea of like having these dumb render, like these invisible render components just so I could call a hook. I was like, okay, well, just having the ability to dynamically enable these things, like the code became much cleaner. I deleted a couple of components. It just, it didn't feel gross anymore. So it's been, it's been, it's been a really nice uh, tool to work with. And I could definitely see myself using it or wanting to use it in the future if it weren't in a, it wasn't being used in a project uh, that I'm on. It really reminds me when you're describing it of uh, what Data Loader felt like when we were learning Data Loader, right? Like Data Loader was this sort of library slash concept, sort of developed for GraphQL to solve n plus one problems when you're when you're querying graphs. You know, Data Loader basically um, did I say that right? Data Loader basically accumulates all the IDs that you could ever possibly want to fetch and then fetches them in, in batches, right, to, mm -hmm. to limit the number of um, queries that you're doing to your database because uh, that round trip, you know, takes, takes a lot of time. And this is kind of the same thing where it's a sort of general purpose thing was developed for React, but now, like you said, the core really has nothing to do with React and people are using it with Vue and stuff. And uh, solving the same types of problems where, you know, preventing N plus one sort of batching things, caching general purpose sort of higher level problem solving for these uh the, these pain points in in interfaces between your you know your api and your server so it, it, it's hard to wrap your head around because you're so used to doing it the old way but uh if you can embrace if you can embrace the conventions and and do it you know with these tools that people have developed uh yeah the performance win is obviously going to be worth it yeah, yeah, yeah. I and the other thing too is like again, same same deal with Tailwind. Like, there's a community around it. Uh, people building things with it. Uh, the documentation's there, right? So this these are all things I don't have to write myself, and I don't have to do, like teach the dev team myself, and I don't have to teach the client when we deliver a project. <laughs> uh, like those are that's a huge motivation for me in thinking about, especially being a contractor. There's a whole ecosystem around this thing. Go and do with it what you will. This isn't something bespoke that I made for you, the client, right? It's, yeah, that's that's a big fear of mine is like, I don't want to write, I try to avoid writing from scratch a lot because, especially in this scenario, because uh, someone else is going to have to maintain this and they don't know me. Like, everyone knows Sean Washington. Come on. Yeah, I think you, I think you guys know, know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, that's, yeah, uh, I don't yeah, I yeah. like React Query approved, two thumbs up from me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Glowing endorsement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, I just talked about 
React query for half an hour. Uh, is there anything you know, anything you had on your mind? We we could have just cached that conversation and just loaded it a bit faster. Oh, oh man, just played it from the tape. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing because I've been making fun of you for how long about IntelliJ? Here we go. I mean, when Greg's using something, you know that it's a good <laughs> thing. I don't trust your taste, but when Greg is uh, Greg's on board, I'm on board. They'll take it personally. So, so I'm gathering uh, that you, you're trying out some JetBrains products? Yeah, so it's really not about Greg. I've been thinking about it. Um, I had a little sort of time between, I don't want to use the word sprints because we don't do agile, but you know, I was between spurts of productivity and I was like, uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of Rails stuff right now. I know RubyMine is a thing. I was like, man, I should just check this out. It does sound pretty cool. Um, what, what do I got to lose? They got a monthly subscription, uh, you know, whatever. I could just try it out. They got free trial. I didn't even go for the free trial. I just went for, <laughs> straight for the monthly subscription <laughs> because uh, YOLO, right? Yeah. As the kids say. Man, I, I, <sighs> where to begin? I'm really, really pretty happy with it so far. I got to say, I did send, settle on uh, IntelliJ IDEA. I guess you pronounce it like the word IDEA. Mm-hmm. I-D-E-A. Um, for a lot of reasons, which I'll get into, but I've been playing around with, with their, you know, JetBrains IDEs and, uh, I got to say, yeah, yeah, I know you've been pushing on me real hard, but I'm convinced I'm not converted, but I'm convinced that this is a real thing. What's, uh, what's the distinction between the two? Well, I, I, I haven't made the full conversion over cause I haven't sort of worked out all the, the sort of cruft that, that I haven't quite figured out yet. You okay. know, I need a little time to get my environment moved over and set up and figure out how the thing works but uh so far what i've seen is really really good um i got a little list here short little list of pros and cons just kind of going to go through a mini tiny review here with the time we have left so i did settle on intellij which is a little weird because it's a java editor right like first and foremost it's meant for writing java Mm -hmm. which does feel a little gross because like when you make a new project if you don't set it up right by default it just assumes you're using some version of the java sdk which is really weird but obviously i'm not doing java so <laughs> i did end up installing all the plugins and everything for ruby and front end and python and you know everything that i'm going to be doing with even cloud formation you know aws cloud formation templates they're just json files but mm-hmm. they have a little schema so i installed that plugin and Went through and disabled all the Java plugins because <laughs> I don't care. I got to say, man, the Ruby the Ruby integration is feels first class. It really, really is amazing how nice it is to have a Ruby IDE. I mean, that was one of my hangups when I started doing Ruby on Rails. Was before I was doing Ruby on Rails, I was doing I was using Visual Studio, like not VS Code, Visual Studio .net, which which was an IDE and had code completion, had Object Explorer had documentation, had um, autocomplete. I think they call it IntelliSense, right? Whatever. And going from having all that help, the sort of dot tab programming, right? To having just a text file with Ruby, that was that was daunting. And man, I wish I had had a, an IDE when I was doing that because it makes it so much easier to learn the the frameworks and, you know, navigate around your code and stuff. So I, I'm fully sold on 
I'm I'm over the the minimalism of of just like a plain text editor. Like ID is the way to go when you're just doing this day to day. It's it, it just really is. Um, the number one thing, actually, the first thing I did when I set this up was I used the code code formatter. I've never used a Ruby Ruby code formatter. Uh, I literally went through right click on my project, format code, and formatted I don't know how many hundreds of files <laughs> with the formatting that I want. Oh my god, it was so nice. Everything was a mix of tabs and spaces, two, four, you know, using the uh, HTML, ERB templates, they were all over the place. I mean, this project is like eight years old at this point. Uh, I've used different editors, I have different code styles, I didn't know what I was doing to have everything be uniform. It's really, really freaking nice. So that that alone is worth the price of admission for me. <laughs> I really like having the, the proper settings sync, you know, that was a big issue with VS Code and Sublime. Uh, I've got my main desktop. I've got my MacBook Air. I want to have the same environment between them. Being able to set up settings sync and have it pull over, everything just worked there. So that was nice. Um, I mentioned navigating around code. I thought the pricing model is very good. You know, having a monthly pricing is very affordable. Yearly pricing is even more affordable. And they have this cool thing where uh, the more you subscribe, like the longer you subscribe, the cheaper it gets. So like year one is one price and then year two is slightly cheaper and so on so that's kind of cool we've got native arm support in the mac already that's already in production that's awesome it, it, it made a big difference when i downloaded it in terms of speed like i accidentally downloaded the wrong one i was like man why is it so slow <laughs> turns out that's my fault <laughs> didn't download the m1 version the, the biggest reason i ended up on intellij over sort of you know ruby mine or whatever was well, it was two reasons. The first thing was that I do I use a lot of language. I use Ruby. I'm using Python more and more. I'm using doing front end web stuff. I'm not going to use three different editors for that. I don't want to use RubyMine, uh, WebStorm, and PyCharm. The names are so dumb. Uh, like that's three subscriptions, and also that's three different editors. I have to keep settings and sync. Like they won't sync between them, between computers. So that's a, that's a non-starter, right? Uh, but the cool thing that IntelliJ lets you do is for a given code project, which I think of more of as a workspace, but for a given code project, you can have multiple modules within it. So Robot Ham Radio is seven repos, okay? It's a Rails repo, Ruby, um, two Electron, what did I miss? A config file thing that's just plain text, and then uh, a Phoenix repo, and mm, I already forgot. Maybe another Electron one. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of technology in there. And uh, in VS Code, I've always set up a workspace and then had those root directories in there. Uh, but that was problematic with some of the plugins. Like, the plugins didn't like that. Uh, for example, the Elixir plugin on VS Code only works if your Elixir project is first in the list. Huh. It was fun figuring that out. So I like that IntelliJ. I can have one project, seven modules, and then you can actually even... in enable and disable individual modules so when i'm only working on a particular section of the code if i'm like just doing front-end stuff i can disable all the back-end stuff and that way when i'm doing refactoring and searching and code completion whatever all this stuff is just scoped to whatever i'm working on at any given time so that's kind of cool that's always nice issue so far the elixir plugin uh i really appreciate luke imoff dedicating seemingly his soul developing this plugin uh, I haven't had a ton of success with it so far. Seems to break some random things. I'm going to spend some more time fiddling with it. But for now, I'm just going to probably stick with VS Code for that. 
Yeah, I I had pretty okay success with it, uh, but I I, did, I think I had to end up like configuring a couple of things a certain way, like turning certain inspections off or, or something. But uh, I can I can uh, look at what how I had things configured if you need me to at some point. Okay, yeah, I might I might bug you on that because I don't know, just some weird stuff going on. Sure, we'll take this offline. <laughs> All right. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. I'm definitely willing to pay the uh, whatever it is 120 bucks a year for uh, a lot of increased productivity. I mean, refactoring, formatting on save, that's sane. Code navigation, open recent files, run anything, go anywhere. All that stuff, man, is is pretty nice. Being able to just start typing in in any text field that you see, right? Any list, any menu. It's like it's like productivity. It's like the opposite of of death by a thousand paper cuts, right? It's uh, there are some hurdles you have to kind of get over, or things that you have to accept uh, to to become productive with it. But once you just sort of like accept those, there's so many little things that keep adding up. And I think that's like, well, I got stuck on in the first place because Greg like da- dared me basically. He's like, you won't uh, use it for thirty days straight, and said, and then said, I will. And so I did, and then I tried switching back to VS Code, anything really, and it just never sticks because it's the opposite. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. I think I think the biggest eye opener was for me was the fact that the, these plugins are first party, mm-hmm. right? Uh, VS Code, yeah, is a Microsoft thing. Yeah, Microsoft writes plugins for VS Code, but but on the whole, it's an open source. It's a free for all, man. Like you don't know the quality. Of what you're getting, IntelliJ, Ruby, JetBrains, RubyMine, all this stuff's been around for a long time. They've had a long time to bake that. They uh, everything's going to be stable. They have a, like you said, they have a pretty regular release cadence for doing updates. And I just, I think that alone is worth it. Just having that stability and sort of this level of support that uh, you can't always get with a with a, just a complete set of open source tools. I mean. My development tools themselves are unstable enough. Like I don't need to be fighting my editor, too, you know. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, do you feel like it's giving you better confidence to be able to do like larger refactors, or, or, uh, you know, not like I was watching uh, friend of the show Queb on the stream last night, Kid Queb streaming, and he was like, "All right, I'm gonna like change this type," and he can he proceeded to go through like every file that used the type, and then copy and paste the difference. Uh, and I was like, there has to be, surely there's like a button you can click to do this, right? Especially in TypeScript, there's got to be a way to do it. You know, it's little things like that, like that, that make a difference to me anyway. I don't know. That's not a little thing though, because when that becomes easy, then your code becomes better just much more easily, right? There's a ton of small things. Like if you're like, I, I'm primarily writing TypeScript and JavaScript right now, but like, all the time, I, I want to convert an arrow, like a shortened arrow function body that doesn't have braces, to have braces so I can console log something or I can do something else with it. Um, and and I'm so used to like going up here, inserting the brace, go to the bottom, insert the brace. And then I realized Altenter is the JetBrains thing, like the uh, refactor tool. And so I hit Altenter on the arrow one time, and then I saw an option for add braces, like wrap, wrap the function in braces. And so now whenever I do that, I alt enter, enter down, log tab, and then I have my thing. 
So it becomes like, it's like muscle memory at this point. So when I insert a console log, it, it does console log. First argument, it's a bunch of symbols. Second argument is the name of the function or file I'm in currently. And then it drops me into the third position where I can type whatever variable I want to, to log out. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah. There's just a lot of things like that where it's like, boom, 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 done. Whereas before kind of like hunt and peck or look for a plugin that may or not work uh, for doing what I want it to do. So another, another example that was, uh, again, I've got this mishmash of Ruby code that's old and new. And, uh, the old style of writing Ruby was using hash rocket notation for maps, you know, using, uh, symbols, hash rocket value, right. And the new way of doing it is, uh, with the colon, you know, just plain old key value with a colon. And, uh, Guess what? <laughs> There's an alt enter thing. You just go into that th- that uh somewhere in the middle of that map, alt enter, convert hash rockets to colons or whatever. And it has it both ways. And like now I can I'm not gonna go through and update every single instance of that code, but like if I come across it and it looks gross, you could you can bet I'm two cre- two keystrokes away from refactoring that. Yeah, it's I, I, I look for stuff all the time now. I just alt enter on stuff to see what's available to me, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I do. I really do like the discoverability of it. I mean, uh, I'm very comfortable in an IDE environment where everything is sort of floating toolbars with a gear in the corner and like a minimize <laughs> button. Like, give me that all day. You know, how, how many features have I discovered in this application just by poking around and clicking? And I'm not afraid to do it. You know, <laughs> I'm going to take a deep dive. I think I've taught you some new things just by just by poking around in a couple of days. Yeah, like I didn't know anything about the module stuff. I just opened different windows. <laughs> yeah, and that was one of my cons too. I wanted to list was that while the pricing is, I think, is fair, it's really confusing about what you're getting and what's supported for all their different IDEs. Like, I, I don't understand why they're doing things the way they're doing things, if not for some weird legacy reason or I don't know. Like the whole thing, the whole thing with JetBrains is every editor that they do is built on IntelliJ, right? It's this is foundation. It's kind of like the Eclipse model, right? Where everything is built on this foundation of this IDE, but then they they sort of box it up and customize it for each individual, you know, use case, which I think is fine. Like if I'm just a Ruby guy, yeah, I only care about Ruby mine. Like I could save a little bit of money that way by doing it, right? But man, for, for it's just really confusing when you want to go beyond just the, the single IDE, you know? Um, yeah. what's supported and the fact that every editor besides IntelliJ only supports one single module per project. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. Th- there's no project settings screen. It's all, they just kind of put it in the preferences screen. They just kind of jam it all together. Uh, so for example, if you're in, uh, if you're in IntelliJ and you hit, uh, boy, command semicolon, that brings up the project settings screen, but that screen doesn't even show up in any other editor because it doesn't exist. They just show it in in regular uh, project settings. I uh, I rebind control semicolon to open the terminal and close terminal. Ah. That, that's what I had it set to in VS Code. I have a whole bunch of like custom VS Code bindings and I moved a couple of them over to, to IntelliJ. And yeah, that's, that's cool, man. Like I'm glad that it's, it, it can, it's a tool that's more empowering, I suppose, for, for you. You know, it's certainly not for everybody, but that's, that's the best feeling, I think. Until I get completely converted over, I'm still going to be jump, jumping back and forth between that and VS Code. I am going to miss VS Code remote development. I will say, I haven't, still haven't gotten my development environment completely working on my MacBook M1 Air. So sometimes I'll just sit on the couch. I need to do something. 
but it's not set up yet. So I'll just do a launch VS Code uh, preview edition, the gold icon on my M1 Mac. Then I'll connect remote development to my iMac Intel downstairs. Yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and I and I just connect to that, and I just do all my development on that as if I'm sitting locally, which is pretty dumb. Uh, but it lets me get my work done, yeah. <laughs> so I can sit on the couch instead of sit downstairs. <laughs> I think there. I, I think I remember reading somewhere in Utrax uh, coffers that they're working on something similar. That would make sense. Like a, I don't know if it's like a full headless version of it, but uh, something. Some they're basically doing it like if VS Code's doing it, we got to do it because the people won't stop. They just won't stop writing in Utrax about this thing that VS Code does. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's relentless over there. Sometimes I feel bad for some of the devs, but what can you do about it? But uh, no, I'm glad I'm glad you're feeling productive over there. Trying. So anyway, I it was kind of funny because I spent almost a whole day setting it up uh, and just playing with it and getting familiar with it, you know. And then uh, I woke up the next day and I was actually excited. I was like, oh man, I get to use I get to use the cool editor today. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a that's a nice feeling. That's me every day. <laughs> uh, no, it's cool because it's like, it's kind of faded into the background for me now. So it's just a thing. It's, I'm not focusing on it anymore. It's just sort of like a thing that I use, which I'm happy, which I'm happy about. Cause I have that like tendency to like just zero in on a tool. Right. Like I've talked about, I talk about things like that all the time. Uh, and the JetBrain stuff sort of like has left my, my, my like eye of Sauron like focus and now it's just a thing that I'm using. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. And uh, yeah, we don't have time for it today, but I have some, I definitely do have some follow up about Redwood. We can talk about next week. And then also I've done some exploring with Blitz.js too. T O O not to this as in the second version. Um, Yeah. I have thoughts. I have thoughts on it for sure. I, they're both kind of nice. Like in a nutshell, Redwood is a little bit nicer to work with, in my opinion, right now, because they there's like this like this idea of like the first party experience you were talking about, right? Like Redwood has more of that feel right now, where they have like their Redwood wrapped like form helpers and things, and Blitz Blitz like you choose when you're generating a project, you kind of choose a, a form library from a list, but all it does is scaffold like a single form component that you can use to wrap other forms. So it's more, it's definitely more hands-off, like you need to do some more implementation here. Uh, so I have, I have more thoughts on it than that, but in a nutshell, like, yeah, they're both kind of nice to work with and I'm really excited to like see where both of these kind of, kind of go and really the both, like the, 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 both of them just using Prisma, like Prisma is, is so far nice to work with. It's, it's not, um, you know, they say it's not production ready because it's not 1.0 and they're still working through some through some things. But, you know, I've worked with Active Record. I've worked with Eloquent from Laravel. I've worked with query building libraries. I've worked with Go, like, you know, code generate ORMs. And Prisma is, it's like, it's fine. It's, it's, I don't, I don't mind working with it. Uh, it does what it, what I needed to do. So um, I think that the fact that they're both built on top of that, and then I think with like Blitz, you know, me knowing React Query, knowing that Blitz is like using React Query behind the scenes, they kind of wrap wrap it in their own way of doing things, but under the hood is React Query. They're just kind of like nice to work with. I like the idea that they're going towards convention, you know, and I like the that they seem to be choosing the tools that I like. So <laughs> that's also nice. But 
React train is now leaving the station. You on board? See, I have I have thoughts on that too, and I don't know if we want to get into it now, but save it. I don't I don't love it. I just don't love React. Mm. <laughs> I would be if I were if I were choosing to embrace it for 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 personal projects and side projects, like I have been. It, it's purely because of the ecosystem and integrations. Yeah, like Anthony's saying in the chat, we we don't write React because we love it. We write, we write it because we must. Yes. <laughs> we do not write React because it is easy. We write React because it is hard. Yeah, something something like that. Uh, but yeah, I guess like, you know, if anyone has any thoughts on React Query or, you know, how to store application state versus server state, should they be separate? Should they be together? Just let us let us know, you know, like... React Query isn't the first library like it. I know for a fact that there's another one called like Use SWR that's made by the Vercel crew that looks pretty similar, has the inbuilt caching and everything. Um, but so far for me, it's a, you know it's been a nice library to work with and and it's made me more productive. Uh, so that's enough for me. But I w- I'm definitely interested to hear what other people have to say about it. You can always tweet us on Twitter DNC Cast. Sean is Sean Washbot, and I'm Shrockwell. And uh, everything we talked about today, all the libraries, links, videos, quotes, everything, we just try to put them in the show notes. And if that's something you want to see, if you're looking for something specific, head on over to dnc.show and you can find them there. Or you can uh, join along with us as we record the show every week, Thursday nights, 6 Pacific, 9 Eastern, 1 True Time Zone, twitch.tv slash dnccast, if I didn't mention it. We're chatting, we're streaming. We're hanging out a little before, a little after. Sometimes it gets a little racy after after we hit that stop button, so you never know what's going to happen. You could see some cats, you could see some dogs. Who knows? Come on by. Uh, yes, and if you can't make the streams, uh, but you want to you know, talk shop with people, uh, you want to learn with people, you want to talk about food or finance or... Uh, hardware, um, along with the software, uh, you should definitely... You should definitely join the Discord. Um, we're just a group of people that love to learn. We love to make things, and we love to uh, help other people in their journey of making things. So, if that sounds interesting to you, look in the show notes. There's going to be a link to uh, a Discord invite, and you should click on it. We've got a couple of new channels. We've got a fitness channel, and we have a void channel, which is just from what I'm trying to gather from context. It's just where you can scream into the void about whatever is going on. And I, I like that. That's a good outlet. It's a healthy outlet. Also, Thomas is starting up a legit book club. I think I'm going to get in on this. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. I did. What's the book we're talking about? The book he recommended was... Thinking in Systems? Thinking in Systems. A Primer with by Donella H. Meadows. This is very, very, very high level, and I've never read anything quite like this. And I'm kind of intrigued. I think I might do it. Yeah, we don't know what it looks like yet, but we're going to do it. So, uh, Jeff, join up in the Discord if that sounds interesting to you. Well. That's it. That's it. That's all she wrote. You don't have to go home. We can't sit here. Where, where, where am I going to go? I'm on lockdown. Upstairs. I don't know. I should go upstairs. See you later. See you later.